0: So we're going to pray for Liz as she unpacks that drama, I think is possibly one of the words we can use, saga and whatever else. So Amen. let's pray for Liz. Well, oh, Father God, we give thanks for your word for all its joys and all its challenges. And we pray now for Liz that you will continue to inspire her. And for us that we also would be inspired. In the name of Jesus your son. Amen. Amen. I don't really want to say thank you. You ever get the feeling like you've been stitched up? <laughs> like, seriously, when we were talking about doing judges as the thing, I was like, oh. Um, and Deborah came up. I was like, pick me, pick me, pick me. Deborah's the best. Deborah's the best. I'll talk about Deborah. Yes, they said, you can talk about Deborah. That's no That's no problem feel like I'm paying for taking first dibs now. <laughs> Tonight, I get Jephthah, the daughter killer. So, I'm going to do what any self-respecting preacher would do in the face of this, and I'm going to ignore the fact that he killed his daughter, all right? Just for now. We're just going to park that and put it as an elephant in the corner, and we'll come back to it later, Okay. <laughs> You're right there, love? I don't normally reduce people to tears this early on. No, right, Jephthah. Right, okay. We're going to start a little bit further back than the rather tragic ending, and I want to look at the beginning of Jephthah's story because Jephthah's story um, begins as a story that is all about rejection. Okay. He is uh, the son of an adulterous father. He's the son of a prostitute. He's an illegitimate uh, child. He is hated by his um, half-brothers um, who strip him of his rightful inheritance that he should have had uh, through his father, and they uh, force him to leave his home, and he runs off um, just, well, I'm going to say just up the road. I have to admit I don't know the geography, but we're going to call it just up the road. It's not, but it helps my head. Um, and he goes off. And I love it in, the, in the, vergi- the version that Graham just read. It says he goes off and he's, he lives a life with adventurers. And I can see you're all thinking Bear Grylls. Stop thinking Bear Grylls, okay? He runs off and he joins a gang. In the other um, versions of this, they use the word scoundrels. Yeah, now there's a word that's not used enough, eh? Tomorrow, while you're talking about Christ with somebody, try and get the word scoundrel in. (laughs) So no, uh, sorry, I digress. Anyway, he runs off, he goes away, and he joins a gang and is set for essentially a life of crime, right? If you are thinking of somebody to lead your nation... He is not it, okay? And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost like it's a surprise that God calls him to be the next leader of Israel. And yet, we should be used to, by now, shouldn't we, of God calling the unlikely person. Um, Because we started back with Deborah. You knew I'd get her in somewhere. We started back with Deborah, and she was a faithful woman. But she was an unlikely leader on the basis of that she was a woman. And then we talked about Gideon, and Gideon was another unlikely leader because he came from the wrong place despite the fact that he also was a faithful man. And then we get to Jephthah, and love him, he's all kinds of wrong. Not only is he wrong for reasons of parentage and, and, the, and where he's living and all the rest of it, at this point, judging by his life, he's not even a particularly faithful man. And yet God calls him to be the leader of Israel and, uh, and I don't want to talk too much about calling because I'm aware we've talked about that a lot over these past weeks but I do think it's an uh, kind of we just I just want to stop for a little reminder if that's all right because it reminds us once again that God calls whoever God wants for whatever God wants but it also reminds us that none of us are beyond God's call. You know, Jephthah is there. He's been rejected by his family. He's been rejected from the life that he could have been living. He is the reject, but he is not beyond God's call. Because you see, when God looks at Jephthah, he doesn't see just his present situation. God sees past that. And when he looks at Jephthah, he sees the person that he can and will become in God. And it's a really important reminder to us that none of us, not one single one of us, is beyond the call of God. You know, if you're sat there or if you sat there in your past and you're thinking, God could never call me to anything, God couldn't call me because of the kind of life that I've lived or I'm living or for whatever reason. If you're sat there and you feel like the whole world has rejected you, this is the reminder that God doesn't. God never rejects us. None of us are beyond his call. None of us are beyond his salvation. Jephthah was the reject. But God was faithful to him, and God calls him to be the leader of Israel. And Jephthah is, um, is courageous enough, and God calls him, and he says yes. And so off he goes, off to be the leader, off to lead them into battle against the Ammonites. Jephthah's story starts with rejection, but it's also a story about wisdom, or more accurately, a story about the lack of wisdom, because they're, ready, they're getting ready to, um, to lead, uh, to go into battle, and in, in one of his unwisest moments, shall we say, Jephthah decides to make this outrageous Bargain with God. And he says, God, I've got a deal for you. He says, if you let me win this battle, or if you let us win this battle, the first thing that comes out my house, I'll give you as a burnt offering. And we know how this pans out for him. What on earth was he thinking? I mean, Come on, lovely. (laughs) We could be kind to him. We could could be kind to Jephthah for just one moment. We could say, well, maybe he made this deal with God and he didn't think it through. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he had a pet goat that he thought would run out to meet him. Now, for those of you who are online and wondering why I've just had a small meltdown, it was because at the mention of a goat, my youngest son made a goat noise. (laughs) Anyway, right, where were we? Right, goats. Um, yes, so <laughs> we could give Jeff the, the benefit of the doubt and we could say that maybe when he was making this outrageous deal with God that maybe it wouldn't be a human being that would come out. Maybe, yeah, it would have been an animal of some description and it would have all been all right. Um, but but it's not the case it would be nice, but it's not the case. Um, uh, a lot of it is lost in the English translations, but Jephthah would have known that it would have likely been a person who would come to, uh, to greet him. He knew what he was saying. And that makes it really hard. And it brings me back to what was he thinking it also occurs to me that sometimes when we read stories like this, they're so far removed from our, from our kind of where we live now, from our context, that we can't imagine, it doesn't, it doesn't compute, does it? It doesn't kind of fit with what we would think. And it's kind of a bit easy, I think, to sometimes ignore these stories because we go oh well yes it's a horrible story but we would never do anything like that so therefore there's not really much we can take from it we would never do anything as stupid as Jephthah did I mean in fairness if there was ever a bible story where the moral was simply don't do stupid stuff this would be it and Grant did I don't suppose many of us are ready to sacrifice our family members just yet. But are you that convinced that you'd never do something quite so stupid? Really? I'm not so sure, see? I'm talking about myself there, not you. Because I think if we go back and let's have a look at what might have brought Jephthah to the point of saying what he said. You see, because I think Jephthah by this point is actually quite a faithful man. But I think he's got some really dodgy theology. <laughs> Sacrificing burnt offerings to God was a well-established practice in the Old Testament, in the, in the religious rituals. But there were very clear um, Levitican rules about what could and could not be sacrificed. Sacrificing humans was a big old no-no. It was the pagan rituals that sacrificed human beings. And Jephthah would have known this. He would have known this. But he doesn't... He doesn't apply the rules properly because I don't think God's laws at this point are in the forefront of his mind. For all of us here, are are God's laws always at the forefront of our mind? Do we know them all? I'm not going to do this, but I just wonder how many of you, if I asked you to, to stand and list me the Ten Commandments right now, How many of us could do it? Probably more after this morning, yeah, I know. We are called to love God, but we are also called to know his ways and his commandments. It's not enough for us to just say, I love Jesus, and leave it at that. Because we are called to be disciples of Christ, disciples, learners, students of Christ, people who study and learn his ways and his commandments so that we don't apply them incorrectly. And it's really important. Because actually as disciples, when we seek after God, when we, when we really study his word and we, and we seek to kind of work out what it means and how we apply it to our daily lives, that's how, we, that's how we try to safeguard ourselves against doing the stupid stuff. Because actually the more we know God's ways, the less likely we are to go against them. um, And we live in this world, don't we? We live in this world where there's so much competing stuff that sometimes it's hard to work out what's right and what's wrong and what God might want. And the way that we do that is through our discipleship. Because it's easy just to get knocked off track. We were talking... um, in the well this week on Thursday. We have a group on a Thursday called Thoughtful Thursdays and we just come and over coffee we talk about life, the world, faith, spirituality, you name it. And one of the things that we were talking about this week was, um, well actually we didn't start there but we got round to talking about um, the crucifixion and what the crucifixion might look like And we were talking about kind of the images that you get in artwork and on films that show you people crucified on these kind of big contraptions up there somewhere. And we were saying, well, actually, that's not what the crucifixion would have been like. Actually, Jesus would have been crucified on an olive tree. It would have been much lower down to crucify someone. You pretty much had to do it face to face. But all the competing things in the world and the images and the things that we see had had distorted that slightly. Think about it in terms of, you know, someone comes to church and they see us uh, singing worship songs and someone says, what's that person got their hand in the air for? And you say, well, it's just a way of them expressing their worship to God. It's, you know, all right. You leave it at that, and then you look at the other person over there that's not putting their hand in the air, and then suddenly it becomes a thought of, well, that person's got their hand in the air. That means they must really love God, and they're spirit-filled, and, and they're properly worshipping, and this person over here hasn't got their hand up, so they're not like that. Now, of course, it's total and utter rubbish, but if it just went off the back of one conversation, you, that, whoever it was would be forgiven for thinking that that was the case. Does that make sense? Yes, nodding at me, wonderful. Um, and so it's when we come together to study and to talk through these things that we work out what's right and what's not and where we move forward. And, and, it's, and, it, and it helps us not do stupid things. It helps us become wise in the ways of God, wise in the ways of his word. Jephthah makes this outrageous bargain with God, partly because he's got some bad theology and partly because he's a totally desperate man. Never underestimate the power of being desperate. And as a general rule, desperation and wisdom do not go together. He is so desperate that they would win the battle over the Ammonites that he comes to God and he makes this ridiculous deal or bargain with God to kind of safeguard it somehow. You know, God, if you do this, I'll do this. Anybody here made a bargain with God? If you've not made a bargain with God in your life, don't worry, you will one day. Because sometimes that's what life drives us to. When you're sat with that person that you love who is sick and you say, dear God, if you only just heal them, I will never do anything wrong ever again. When you're in that exam and you say, dear God, if you would only just get me through this exam, I promise you I will read my Bible every single day. That's what desperation drives us to sometimes. And the sad reality is when we make these uh, deals with God, we make deals that we almost can never, ever keep. We make these deals with God and then perhaps God does the thing that we ask him to do and ultimately we will fail at our end of the bargain. You know, when you've said, God, if you really, if you just do this for me, I will go to church every single Sunday. And you might go to church every Sunday for the next few weeks and then there's one when you're ill and you can't go and you broke your promise. But yet we still make these bargains with God. Jephthah makes this bargain with God because he's desperate and in that moment of desperation, he has forgotten that God is faithful. You know, Jephthah didn't need to make this deal with God because God already had him covered. But he forgot that in the desperation. You know, Jephthah knew Israel's history. Jephthah knew that God had never failed them, that God had come through for them time and time again, that every time they turned away from God, God was still there. He was faithful to them even when they weren't faithful to him. And yet in that moment, he forgot that. Because you see, actually God isn't interested in us making deals or bargains with him. He's not interested in us somehow trying to manipulate God into doing the things that we want him to do by making empty promises of things that we can never do. All he wants us to do is trust To trust in his faithfulness to us. To know, as Toby said earlier, when he saw Jesus, of just knowing that it would be okay because Jesus was there. That is what we're called to do. And yet Jephthah forgets that. And the challenge for us is to take our discipleship seriously and to remember God's faithfulness. To remember that we don't need to make bargains or deals with God. Because God has it covered. God loves us and he has our best interests at heart. And he is faithful no matter what. He's faithful to us, to us. Never ever wavers. Jephthah's story starts with rejection. It's got a lot of no wisdom in it. But it's also about obedience. And again, when I say obedience, I mean lack of. We've talked a lot before about the importance of being obedient to God, of putting God first and everything else after. And yet the obedience we see in Jephthah's story is heartbreaking. When Jephthah's daughter comes out and she says to her, Hey, Dad, you know, if, if, if that's what you said to God, that's what you've got to do. Now, I don't know if my dad is watching, but if he is, just for general rule, if you ever want to put me up for a sacrifice, I will have more to say than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Her, her obedience, and it is heartbreaking, but it is heartbreaking because it is totally and utterly unnecessary. Actually, the reason that Jephthah ends up in the position that he is in is because he was not obedient to God and God's ways. Actually, had he been obedient to God's laws right at the very beginning, he would never have made the promise that he made. And it reminds us once again of the importance of us being obedient to God's ways. Because yes, obedience sometimes is costly, but it's not supposed to be that costly. If Jephthah had been obedient to God in the first place, then it would have been very different. Because the benefits of being obedient to God are, they're massive. The more obedient we are to God, the closer we are in relationship with him. The more obedient we are to God and the closer we are in relationship to him, the more we know about his ways, the more we are likely to discern God's wisdom accurately. It doesn't mean, however, that we will never make mistakes. Wouldn't it be great? could just be obedient to God focus on your discipleship trust in him and you would never make any mistakes ever again you know Jephthah was the leader of Israel and he managed to spectacularly stuff up when we do these things it doesn't mean that we will never ever make mistakes it does mean that hopefully we won't make quite such a catastrophic mistake but there will be times of course when we get it wrong And this is where we come and we have to thank God for Jesus. Because to kind of come full circle, God never, ever rejects us. That when we get it wrong, when we stuff it up, we're not rejected and left. In God's faithfulness, he sent Jesus so that there is always a second chance. There is always a second chance with Jesus It doesn't mean that sometimes that we don't have to suck up the earthly consequences of the mistakes we make. They do still have to stand. But when we are obedient to God, we are less likely to mess up. But when we do, we have a God whose faithfulness is unending. And through Jesus, there is forgiveness and a second chance. So where do we... Why do we find ourselves at the end of this particularly horrid story? Well, we are reminded that we are never, ever rejected by God. Why? Because God is faithful. We are reminded that we do not have to make bargains and deals with God in order for him to help us or for him to do stuff for us. Why? Because his God is faithful and his faithfulness never wavers. And we're reminded that even though our obedience and our discipleship mean that we might be less likely to stuff up, we are reminded that when we do, there is always forgiveness and a second chance. Why? Because God is faithful. Shall we pray? (coughs) God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you that your faithfulness never, ever wavers. We thank you that we are never alone. We thank you that none of us are beyond your call. We are never, ever rejected by you. And God, we pray that you would help us to know that you are with us us to know that your hand is on our lives help us to know your presence with us a real tangible sense of your presence with us pray for all those people who who feel like they've been rejected or who have been rejected for those people who are separated from family for those people for whom society tells them that they are not good enough for those of us here who perhaps at different times in our lives have been told you are not good enough. God, we pray by the power of your love that those words would be broken. That those people would know that they are not rejected by you, but they are wonderfully and fearfully made and loved by you. God, may they know your presence with them. And God, as we as we read these accounts from the Old Testament and we think about Israel's history. God, it can make uncomfortable reading given what's going on in the world right now. And God, we do offer you everything that is going on in the Middle East with Israel and Palestine and Gaza. God, we pray that you would just pour out your peace in that place. That you would give leaders wisdom. Lord, we It's so hard to to see even a glimpse of how things and peace might be brought about. And Lord, we just come to you and we say we need you and we need a miracle. We need a move that can only come from you and we just cry out to you, Lord. Lord, would you move in that place. God is your people. We pray that we would take our discipleship seriously. we pray that you would help us to know what it truly means to be students of christ we pray lord that daily you would reveal yourself to us that we would know more of your ways more of your love that we would grow in you would transform us from the inside out, that you would transform us so that we might be made more and more into the likeness of you, more and more into the people that you are calling us to be. God I pray for those people, I pray for those people who are struggling, for those people who feel far from you. God, would you draw them to yourself? We pray, Lord, for those who are searching. Those who have questions and are looking for you. We pray, Lord, for the Alpha courses that are happening here and across our town. God we pray for each of the people who are there who have their questions who are searching Lord we pray that you would reveal yourself to them that they would come to know your love for them and Lord we pray for all the different ways in which we step out in mission Lord we pray that they would bear your fruit we pray pray that people would come and that they would come to know you and that they would start their journey of their life with you and lord as we think of the story of jephthah and the loss contained in that story god we pray for all those who are grieving grieving the loss of loved ones in its many forms. Lord, we pray that that they would know your comfort, your peace and your hope. Thank you, Jesus, that we are your children. Thank you that you are faithful to us. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to be obedient to you and to your ways, that we might be close to you, that we might shine your life and your love to those that we meet, that we might see your kingdom come. worship in just a second. But if you want to continue praying as we worship, please do continue praying. If you'd like someone to pray for you, you can either just nudge the person next to you and say, Oi, pray for me. Or there are going to be some people in the side chapel just here and they would love to pray for you. Please don't go home without allowing us to pray for you if that's something that you need this evening.